Hey there. Hope you are well. Today's episode of the Zen Founder Podcast was recorded before the COVID-19 outbreak, but I decided to release it now because I think it's just such a timely conversation. It's a conversation that I had with my friend Ronsley Voss. Ronsley is the producer of an audio documentary called The Psychology of Entrepreneurship, and it is, I mean, to call it a podcast is is sort of to make it much less than it is because it really is this masterful work of art where Ronsley has attempted to dive deep into the unique mindset, mental habits, perspective, way of seeing the world that shape life for many successful entrepreneurs. Ronsley is a TED speaker. He is the author of a book called Amplify and also the founder of an audio marketing agency by the same name. So his, his qualifications are like off the charts, but more so, he's a really, really thoughtful human being who is astute at observing the uniquenesses of other people, but also really wise about his own self-reflection. So the thing that I loved about this conversation, it, I think as you listen to it, it'll sound like a conversation between old friends, which it is. I love the way in which Ron Leslie describes how his relationship with himself, with his own body, has been shaped by his awareness of the psychology of others. It's observation and empathy at its best. And I think there's something in it for all of us in the midst of such a psychologically challenging time. One more thing about Ronsley, if you are a podcaster, he is hosting a remote event called We Are Podcast um, in a couple weeks that I'm super excited about. I get to be one of the presenters for that event. So if you like the Zen Founder podcast, I think you will also really enjoy the psychology of entrepreneurship, and I would definitely encourage you to hop on over to it. You can find it all the main places where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Be well. Welcome to the Zen Founder podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. It's kind of disappointing that in real life, there's not an editor. Like, I really wish I had an editor in real life because sometimes I want to go back and restate things in a better way. That's such a fascinating thing that you say that because someone asked me this in when I was uh, the last US trip, how much do you edit for the world? And I was like, um, do I? And <laughs> it's opened up this Pandora's box of how much I edit for the world. And it's so fascinating because I always thought of myself to be this super open person. I, I think it's good. Like I need a little editing because I'm in some ways there's a lot of openness. And then I just have my own shit, right? Where I'm like, I get anxious or I'm too utilitarian or I'm too like brisk or abrupt or, you know, like my brain is moving toward whatever it is that's my agenda of the day. If I had an editor in real life, my editor would like give me some cues to slow down and take pauses and say nice things to my children. You know, like 
it would be a better version of me with an editor. The unedited version of me is actually like working on it, but not not as nice as I and kind as I aspire to be. Yeah, that kindness is so fascinating. Like this morning, for example, like I... So here's the story, right? I, I lost my license for a month. Your driver's license? My driver's license. Okay. Because I didn't vote in 2012. And I've been fighting this for since 2012, going to court and... I'm sorry. So it's required to vote in Australia? Yeah, it's compulsory. You have to vote. Okay. So if you don't vote... You get fined. And I didn't pay the fine. And I kept going to court saying... I disagree. <laughs> I disagree with this. <laughs> and I, the law is dumb. Is your grand defense? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, in 2020, which happened uh, like a couple of weeks ago, the judge was like, "I I need to teach you a lesson." <laughs> so I'm taking away your license. I'm like, "Does that even make sense?" I did not vote. I stayed in this court for like half the day, Your Honor, and. I've seen people destroy property. I've heard of people being four times the alcohol limit. And you're going to take my license for not voting in 2012? And she's like, young man, first of all, I don't think you're in a position to argue constitution with me, which was true. But anyway, I lost my license. The, The point I'm making is I decided to go by bus, right? And today I had this podcast interview at seven in the morning. My brain was losing its mind to the point that because I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be late and I wanted to take the bus and I, I had to plan. And it was so fascinating that I would have never noticed that before. It would have just been me being Ronsley. And in that mess, I reckon Rochelle would have taken a lot of nonsense that did not need to happen. Rochelle, your wife. My wife. Would have been like, why are you so... Yeah, but... It's interesting, these patterns that I have created for myself on being a good boy, which is um, also the first time I'm articulating it that way. What does it mean to be a good boy? Always be on time. Like, keep your word, probably. And I'm just, I'm literally thinking of all this stuff right now, right? I've, I've not thought of this stuff before. We didn't pre-script this conversation. This is just happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this, I feel like these, those were things, be, very, be respectful to your parents. So this is another thing that is interesting is like, apart from all the good stuff my, my parents repeated, one of the things that they did repeat, my dad was like, it doesn't matter what you do if you're not respectful to your parents. So I did not even account for any of the stuff I did because in their eyes, I did not, they didn't feel I was being respectful because I didn't follow the normal path way. Like being an entrepreneur was in some ways an inadvertent act of disrespect because you didn't follow maybe what their preference would have been. Yeah, I mean... So you have this like fake made up job instead of becoming a doctor like a good boy would be. I think my dad, I interviewed my dad on my podcast, I think 200 or 300 episodes in. And I asked him, did, did he have, does he have any regrets? And he said, I don't understand. You have two master's degrees. You have a master's of software engineering and a master's of business administration and you're talking into a microphone what i don't understand like you could have you could have done something in your field was his words in in that thing in response to you asking him about regret in his life no i think i asked him about like do, do you wish i did something different is what i asked him okay now this was like 3 4 years ago so this was a long time this was 600 episodes 
before. So I didn't think of that for a long time. How does that land for you now that you even tell that story now? Because that feels that feels deep to me. I mean, my parents sort of don't really understand what my job is. But yeah, I, I think many of us as entrepreneurs who have sort of carved out a, a niche for ourselves are confusing to the people that raised us. I, I've always been confusing to my parents. And I've, I've known that. And, and I think, I think it's, it, started, it started like really early. One of my earliest memories was in, in grade one. My parents were called to school because I did not understand why girls were wearing skirts and we were wearing trousers. So I decided to check. Like I went under a girl's skirt. This was a grade one. And I, did, and I remember my mom and dad being like sitting with their head in their hands outside the principal's office going, I, I don't even know how to respond to this kind of thing, right? So they, I mean... Very conservative. My dad and mom have been with each other since they were in uh, in school, right? I've just been, so it's been like I've never seen them fight in public. So it's a very sort of like interesting, harmonious, yeah, yeah. I knew that that I had to find a way to understand myself because, like, I think I was looking, f- I was I was hoping they would help me understand myself, but it got more confusing. But that you were a mystery to them. I was a mystery to, I was a mystery to everyone. <laughs> yeah. I think that's actually one of the greatest gifts that I've received as, as a parent is it became really clear very early on in my parenting experience when my son was four that he was just a very different kind of human than me. And he has a carries a label of autism spectrum and whether or not that fits is really beyond the scope of this conversation. But, but you know, there's like this, this framing of him that's like, Oh, this is a different kind of human. And the fact that that was kind of given to me so early on in his life, I think was really important because I just have felt from that point off the hook from understanding him in the same way that I would understand myself. Like he's very separate. He's his his own creature. I'm not responsible. It's not my fault. I don't get the credit. (laughs) I just feed him and make sure he goes to bed, you know, like, and I think that's actually been really helpful in our relationship. So hopefully he's not expecting me to help him understand himself because he's kind of on his own with that. No, but it's so much, it's so much more interesting because if like, there's no way I could have a conversation with my parents about presence where would I begin that conversation? There's no, there's no ground basis for that. So it's a, we've, we've had a lot of conversations to get to a point to be aware that that's even a thing that's underlying, you know? So I'm super grateful uh, to actually even find that out because I've been, I've been finding out more of these patterns. Well, I want to ask you about that. You've spent the last, I don't know, 18 months like working on this, it feels more like a podcast, like it feels like an audio documentary, but a podcast essentially for the the common folk about the psychology of entrepreneurship. So you've been interviewing all kinds of folks who are themselves entrepreneurs or people who think about the inner workings of entrepreneurs. And what have you noticed? Like, what have you learned from these many, many conversations? Well, one of the craziest things is since having the idea, I've lost... 20 kilos, which is 44 pounds. And I realized there's a big, that to say that, when I say that in, in pounds, it, it's like, because David Berkus was like, oh, you lost 20 pounds. I'm like, no, there's a big difference. It's 20 kilos. It's twice as much, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. How, and what's the connection there for you? Do you think like between losing all that weight and starting this project, like tie those together for me. I, I feel like having these conversations cause I decided to like, to have all these conversations in person that I would go to the person and have these conversations with the people and be with them and has, have as close a connection with them to understand their inner workings because they've achieved all this cool stuff. And I feel like they lent me their energy and, and I feel like unconsciously my being, un, like my being understood there was a different way of doing things. Just by being in the room and having this pretty in-depth, intimate conversation with this community of people. Yeah, just just being with them, just just feeling them. That sounds weird, but not- in a totally rated G kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> the Disney Channel version. You know, my uh, my uni days, my superpower was I could take anything and turn it dirty. So, but um, <laughs> I, I I think that that showed me examples. Like there's that whole thing about the you're, you're the average of the five people you hang around with, and and. that can be taken in so many different ways, but actually meeting because I met these people and I shared space with them and, and we had this deep connection and conversation and, and, and I feel apart from all the knowledge they dropped, that in itself was a a catalyst for change. I feel because everyone thinks that I lost weight because I started running, but I lost weight and then started running. So it's not like, like I just started to shed weight. My diet didn't change. My exercise didn't change. It, it was just, I started to understand stuff that was just repeated patterns because of what these people was t- telling me. They were telling me things that I, I kind of unconsciously knew as information, but they were so passionate about what they did <laughs> that they told it to me in a totally different way that some other part of me understood. So that was a big, I feel as a, as a big connection to that. What do you think you were shedding? I mean, shame. I know you're shedding weight, but what shame? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm so sure of that. And when I first said shame, I didn't know where that came from because I was like, well, what, what, what am I shameful for? It came out, but I was doing such a good job hiding it as well. Even from yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How did you start to be aware of it? I mean, was it one aha moment in a conversation with somebody and you're just like, oh, wow. Or did it unfold as it built upon conversation upon conversation? I think there are these big moments, but I think I can piece back instances from way back in my childhood. But but the one recently, the big one recently was um, sitting across Philip McKernan at Park City. So this is August, September, September 2018. I had no idea who anyone at the table was, but I was sitting with Jim Shields and the Shields and I was sitting with Josh Goodman and I was sitting with Didi and Philip McKernan. Didn't know anyone. And I think, I don't know how we got to a conversation about kids, but for two years, when anyone asked me about kids, I would give a standard response and they would not ask me any further questions. That was the greatest response I could give. So I did my standard stuff because I didn't know who was at the table and didn't know any background of who Philip was. And I said, so they're like kids. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not. I, I don't think I'm going to have kids because I'm too selfish a person to have kids. <laughs> and Philip looks at me in the eye and I remember it so clearly because, you know, I had never met a person like Philip before. And he said, I don't think you're a selfish a person to have kids. I think you don't want to 
do to your kids what your parents did to you. And my body started crying at a table that I had, like I didn't know anyone at this table. But all my, my defense mechanisms was, were like, that I had before were shattered in that one moment. So that was big. And that's what started shedding. That's what started shedding. The weight of all that you carried, the shame of not being a good boy or of not doing the things the right way that they wanted. Mm. Crazy. Tell me about a conversation in the context of the podcast that you've been working on, the psychology of entrepreneurship, that was hard for you, like where you didn't, you didn't know where to go or you were shocked or stumped or sad or, you know, a moment that kind of... It's, it's fascinating how I build stuff up in my head. But my first, you were, you were there when I did my first interview because uh, I interviewed Tucker Max. So it was my first in-person interview in this project. So I, I didn't really know where it was going. I, it was so fresh and so new. And again, <laughs> I decided to interview Tucker Max. <laughs> And for anybody who doesn't know, Tucker's been a guest on this podcast and he is a straight shooter as straight as they come. No bullshit. He's has a good heart, but he's not nice. <laughs> I mean, he's just... So his search for truth is... That was the first time I noticed someone just in, a, in the search for truth. Like, and he didn't care about how he came across. He doesn't care about any of that such in the search for truth. And you can see that. And when you understand that about Tucker, that's who he is. And You understand him. Yeah. But it was the first time my wife saw me work. So you're doing one of these interviews for the first time in Texas after you've flown from Australia. You're with your wife who's watching you work for the same at the same time. And she's lovely and supportive, but I'm sure there's also this, this need to like at least appear competent to her. <laughs> And it was the first time she's ever seen like, you know, that, that whole thing go down. And, and first of all, we knock on a door and Taka opens the, the, another door and goes, dude, that's the guest house. And we're like, oh. where are we? <laughs> There's we two houses. <laughs> and then we enter and we see all you guys. And, and, and it was, and I was trying super hard at that point to be calm, to be honest. Because I was just like, I was freaking the fuck out. Uh, even on the trip there, and Rochelle was like, I didn't had no idea this is what you go through. I'm like, I'm like, I feel responsible to capture the moment. And I feel like, anyway, I put that pressure on myself. And it's interesting. So that that interview has gone down in your head is like, okay, I survived it. I survived it. <laughs> it was big because, you know, Tucker after a while gets gets like irritated depending on on where he's at and all that kind of stuff. And that happened towards the end. But it was one of those steep learning curves. And, and now I'm glad I went through it, but it was uncomfortable doing it. Definitely a trial by fire. Yeah, yeah. And then I, you interviewed me the next day and I was, I was easy. Yeah, and that, that, that helped massively. That did help massively. And, and then I think it's so fascinating how different people are, give you so much in so many different ways. And I got all these different gifts from each guest which is so valuable. Like I, I, I've had this post-it note right here for so long going, I want to send a video to all my, it's only 20 guests in and kind of just say, this is what I got out of it because it's been such a amazing journey because it's been a year since I did my first interviews. And I'm lucky that I got a chance to do maybe about eight, 
800 interviews before. Right. You're not a newbie interviewer. No, it wasn't my first. So yeah, even though I did so many interviews, I was still scared on my Tucker Max one for sure. My challenging interviewee is Andrew Warner from Mixergy. I've interviewed him twice and he's interviewed me once, I think. So we've done a couple different shows together, both on Zen Founder and on Mixergy. And both times that I've interviewed him, he gets like halfway through and he stops the interview and he's like, what are you really trying to get here? Like, what are you trying to ask? And the first time he did it to me, I was like horrified. Like I feel teeny tiny as a human. Like I clearly have no social skills and can't talk to people because he's just basically stopped the interview and said, you're not going anywhere. You sort of suck at this. Let me help you out. The second time I was ready for it. And I was like, Andrew, I'm asking the questions that I want to ask. You don't need to take over my interview. So I got all sassy with him. But it is, people don't appreciate like how hard it is to be a good interview. And I, I don't consider myself to be one, but it's, it's a lot of pressure, as you say, to really feel like you're hosting this space and you want to bring out the essence of what someone thinks and feels. You want to capture the moment. You want to do it in a way that's witty and entertaining and, and deliver regularly, depending on how often you're recording. So, I also want the guests to feel like it's the, it's the best experience they've ever had. Because if that's my intention, I'm going to have the best experience. It's like a, it's like a no-brainer. See, there are times that, there are lots of times that I have not switched on the video camera because I felt like that would get in the way of the connection or the, or the conversation. So it's, it's, it's fascinating because I don't even necessarily know. If, so if someone asked me like that, what are you trying to ask me? I would be like, I don't know. I'm feeling my way through this. And, and here's the thing. No one would read an unedited book. So why would someone listen to an unedited podcast. So I'm ca just capturing here. And, and that has started to take a little bit of pressure off me. And, but I still am the person with the most amount of information because I've done all the previous interviews and I've done all the scripting for them. And what is fascinating about this whole project is that every week as a team, we get better because this is our a gym workout because everyone in the team is involved in this in this project and every volume we release we get better there's like 13 phases sherry from picking the person to interview to interviewing to then the editing there's a content extraction then there's a highlight reel and then there's a transcription there's a scripting there's a narration there's a 13 phases and it's a labor of love. So it's just one of those really cool things that I, I can't explain. So if someone says to me, where's the ROI, Ronsley? It's beyond I can explain in terms of money. <laughs> You're like, the ROI is I'm making something I'm proud of. And I respect myself for something that's good for me. It's good for my body. It's good for my mind. Makes me happy to get up in the morning makes me makes me soup like even bringing the team together around it like and and some of the team doing things that they've like not done before and they feeling more confident and they talking more and their voice being put out more mm -hmm. if i see how kaylee has progressed from putting out the facts in volume one to pretty much running psychology entirely right now that 
is super awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, to see people grow that way. So what's your plan from here? Is this a time-limited project or is this years and years down the road you want to still be working on psychology of entrepreneurship? So I, when I did my MBA, for some interesting reason, I didn't really plan it, but I majored in psychology and leadership just because I think I did more psychology courses, courses and I did more... Because psychology is the best, obviously. It is so amazing how much we take for granted, especially the stuff that is just, we know as, as common, as true. This is just how we operate. Like if those bases, like confirmation bias is one of those, those topics that you're like, yeah, that happens to everyone. And that could help avoid a whole bunch of situations. <laughs> right. So for psychology, I feel like every conversation is just this new wonderland, like of connection with these people. Like I did not have a headliner for We Are Podcasts. Um, I actually really wanted you to come uh, and I was hoping that would happen. But I, I, and I really wanted a female headliner and I've been trying for five years. Next year, next year. Can I come next year? I have, I have some amazing news. But what I'm trying to say is like, I didn't have a, a headliner. As a result of psychology, a friend introduced me to Melissa Ambrosini, who's got like 10 million downloads and counting and um, like amazing human. I drove to her house, which is a couple of hours away. They cooked for me. I interviewed her. She finished the interview and she goes, hey, I, I heard you have this, this conference. Can I speak at it? So cool. And I'm like, so this happened on the 2nd of February and my event's on the end of April. And it's like, I could not have, like, you know, it was perfect timing. And as a result of that domino, we're going to do We Are Podcast LA in November, which is awesome. mental to think it will be the first podcast conference to go global. And that is just like a, like, I can't explain this. I can't explain how this is going down because 10 days ago, I did not have the We Are Podcast LAX idea. Wow. And now it's coming together. So I'm, I'm just, I think I'm just happy doing the reps because I think the reps are just doing its thing. I don't, I feel the same way with my running these days, which is so cool too. And I, I think that's the main thing I've gotten from all these people that they have reps in their life that they don't negotiate on. And depending on what those reps are, those are their priorities. And sometimes those reps are just because they've been doing it for ages and they've forgotten to, to, to recalibrate. But most of the times they're very specific because they've achieved something either consciously or subconsciously. It's a system that's worked for them. So they've just kept doing it and it's either got them amazing success. And sometimes that success has, has, has got them burnout, which is an, another common sort of trend. And then they've found their way to find the balance and then they've unlocked something which is beyond intellectual. You can't explain it. They can't explain it in a way that, you know, we can put it into a book, I suppose, which I suppose anyone would want to. I think that's the fascinating thing about, about psychology of entrepreneurship or the way we're doing this is, and I consider mothers to be the original entrepreneurs, which is something I've, I've not said out loud for the, for the longest time. And I, I've decided to hmm, Tell me about that. Yeah. Because if mothers don't achieve their goals, someone dies. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And they, they package this 
consciously, unconsciously, subconsciously, they, they package this piece of value for the world. And they have to be the, cake, the, 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 the chef, the driver, the hug giver, the psychologist, the f***ing everything. And yeah, I, I, and I think that's entrepreneurship 101. I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think I've had lots of conversations lately about the, in some ways, the relative gap of successful entrepreneurs who are male as opposed to who are women or even people who are parenting. So the, the circle of mothers who are successful entrepreneurs is small in the like big dollar amount. I think lots and lots and lots of parents and women have smaller businesses where they're sort of hustling and making things work. But I feel like so much entrepreneurial energy, so much of that generative, I'm growing something, I'm making something, I'm pouring myself into something. The way that lots of people describe their businesses for mothers that goes into their children. And, you know, I can appreciate the the biased nature of the way that I've just said that. But I do think that on some on some level, there are differences in what gets poured into the life of a child between a, a mother and a father, and that there's only so much of that generative energy to go around. So to really pour that into a business too, there's just almost not quite enough. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I have never thought of that before. And I've thought about a lot of these kind of things. And I've actually gone on a strength, uh, like a, a stint of, of interviewing only women for six months just to understand some of the things that you go through, which I had never even considered before. And I started to notice everywhere. But yeah, I, that, there's so much pressure. When I talk about pressure about myself, something that I feel took me, you know, instant, like I just understood it in an instant was mother's guilt. I was like, wow, that is so much pressure. So much pressure. But you're right. Like you're making all these bundles of value, right? In all these, and everyone is a different being, different life form, has different energy, has different things, different experiences, different ways to grow. And, and, and then on top of that, you have another one, which is this thing, which... <laughs> the business, yeah. Yeah, it's not an, it's not an excuse, but I, do, I just think that there's, there's a special way to acknowledge the energetic investment that that is involved with motherhood but i do feel that what i have gotten the most out of these conversations is that like especially with women is you have this really magical energy that is untapped and it, it's here's here's what i mean by that like achievement is always kind of like associated with this oh i've got to go and do this male thing and put a goal and run towards it or like break down barriers. And you guys have always known there's this magical route to stuff. And you don't have to do the, the way that everyone else, because men decided that's, or that's the way it's been shown. You, you get the stuff you want, I suppose. And I think there is there's something super untapped there. Like it just, every time I talk about it, I, I feel that there's more and more there. But um there's definitely something there, yeah. And one of the things that I've appreciated about um, some of the the men that I've interviewed lately has been a growing reverence, interest, awareness of cultivating intuition among 
some of the, the male entrepreneurs that I know. So obviously we're speaking in these sort of generalities and some stereotypes in terms of like feminine intuition is usually paired together. Masculine is usually like build a big tower, chop down a big tree, rah, rah, rah. No one is perfectly fitting in one of those archetypes. So we don't mean to be um, stereotyping and things like that. But I think when we speak about these these patterns that show up in in human personality and in human interactions, the intuitive, the nonlinear, the like, I know without knowing, like, I, I don't, I can't show you the data, but I know what I know is true. That sort of intuitive, magical ability to, to feel into decisions, which stereotypically is very feminine and not super valued among the entrepreneurial, like, show me the spreadsheet kind of crew. But I'm, I'm seeing it more and more and having more conversations about this, the sort of softer skills that are, I think we're increasingly seeing like it matters how you feel, what you sense, listening to that sort of still small voice in the back of your head is as valuable as looking at your spreadsheets. You couldn't have said it better. Like I was trying to explain what you said in the first two seconds when you open your mouth about intuition. I was trying to explain intuition with all those words, but I didn't say the word intuition. <laughs> the woo-woo. The, 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 <laughs> and it's so, like, it's so cultivated within you. It's like I, I'm just trying to understand that because I didn't have any that kind of people around me who had that both of those sides figured out. Like, And now we see more and more I suppose, a bunch of us getting to a point where we go, well, that's unfair or that is not right or that doesn't make sense and success doesn't feel good anymore or it doesn't feel, it, it depends. Like you, you sometimes go to a goal that you thought was always what you wanted, but you get there and you're like, oh, no. I... Numbers aren't cuddly. <laughs> they don't keep you warm. I mean, it is interesting, like, I'm sure you you remember this from your psychological training, but like when given the choice, whether it's infant monkeys or infant humans, they're always going to prefer nurture and connection over things as basic as food. So I think that's where our models of success break down. Like I made the biggest tower, I chopped down the biggest tree, I have the biggest bank account, rah, rah, rah. Now I should be satisfied. But it's it, that's sort of a game. Like it's not actually the thing that most deeply fills us. And, and those are, of course, our, our deep human connections. And, and I think we, because we have felt some sort of pain because of that connection in the past, we kind of like block that feeling because we kind of don't want to feel the pain part of that. So we, we as a result, don't feel the, the good part of that the best part about feeling pain is when you come out of it. And I know that sounds super weird, like, but it, it's true. And once that pain is shed, then you're not carrying that pain around, which, you know, only you can, only you can forgive yourself for that, I suppose. And only you can get yourself to the other side of pain. Yeah. Or, or even decide, like you, you can decide in the moment whether that pain is like, you can overlay that pain. So you can feel the pain. So for example, if you're running and you feel something in your knee or you feel something in your hamstring or you, and, and you're like, oh, my, my, my legs feel, feel heavy, you can either decide to layer that with, 
oh, this is going to be a bad run. Oh my God, I got to do another six Ks of this. And you can make it even worse with all the mind stuff that you overlay on that pain. And if you just are aware that your mind is overlaying that with creating the more emotion, which is making the run even worse. Your mind is interpreting the sensation. Right. Yeah. In this, in this negative way that doesn't necessarily have to be interpreted that way. Right. And, and that happens in business all the time. It happens in life all the time. Like this morning, being here on time, which could have easily messaged you if I wasn't and said, I'll be a couple of minutes late. But my brain was losing its mind this morning. And um, yeah, that's super fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind was losing its mind. <laughs> super meta, dude. <laughs> But what if there's simply every interpretation of that sensation that instead of the narrative around, I got to be a good boy, I got to show up on time. Sherry's not going to like me or she's going to be irritated if I'm late. And just by the way, like I'm generally like five minutes late all the time. But the reinterpretation of like, oh, look how important this is to me. Look how much I care about this relationship or, or showing up to do well this matters to me. I, you know, I, I want this. It's important to me, which is a really just benign, non-judgmental interpretation of the same sensation. Well, there you go. That's, that's why people pay you money for that, like one line, because that perspective, right, is so important. And I think we get around in our head thinking there's only one interpretation of a certain thought pattern. And someone goes, here's this one line. And you're like, huh, like how much have I not considered? So yes, that, that makes total sense because I care about your brand and I wanted to show up in a way that would enhance your brand. So that totally makes sense and in a totally different way, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you did. <laughs> it is cool to have these kind of conversations because I think that, and it's cool that we can have these conversations, me being in Brisbane, and you being on the other side of the planet, like... Isn't that funny? It's like summer where you are, isn't it? It is getting... It is autumn. So it's supposed It's just supposed to get colder. It is getting cooler a little bit. We just finished like a really hot summer. Well, um, I mean, I think if, if folks are listeners to the Zen Founder podcast, then the Psychology of Entrepreneurship podcast is going to be their bread and butter because it is just fabulously put together and produced and you have done an excellent job at just blowing the bar out of the air in terms of what's possible with beautifully curated audio content. And I was honored to be part of it and I'm honored to get to talk to you about it. And I hope that my listeners will jump over and dive in and not forget about me, of course, but you know, just just expand the conversation around what's happening in the, the magic black box on top of our shoulders as we are pursuing a life of entrepreneurship and, and building great things. Your voice is in every volume because you're in the, you're in the intro of the show. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Your volume two, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, go check it out. Hey, in the, the ups and downs, the shedding of weight, the flying all over the world, what are the what are the words that you repeat in your head that help you to stay calm and centered in your ups and downs? I love myself. Um, 
which is recent, is a really recent one. Mm. I love myself. So Trevinia Baba, who is a common friend, I was having, I, so I happened to have a really bad day and I had a call with her because she's speaking at We Are Podcast. So I had a speaker half an hour call with her. Anyway, so we, we spoke initially about what was going on. And then at the end, she's like, I think you should really listen to this podcast episode, Marcus Aubrey, which I actually hadn't heard of Marcus Aubrey before. And I went and listened to this particular episode, which she recommended. And the author was the author of the book, uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Have you, have you come across that book? Mm-mm. <laughs> okay. I'll go get it. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, what a game changer. Yeah, what a game changer because it is a book that has actually distilled all the stuff that we've made up, right? And we kind of try to like put all these different aspects on a, on a pedestal when if we just put ourselves on that, everything else gets sorted. And, and it, it, it intellectually works it out. Anyway, I love the book. It was it's just a four, four hour listen, four and a half hour listen maybe. But I listened to the podcast. I had a couple of really insane episodes of laughing and crying while I was listening to this, mm. this, this podcast. And um, then I immediately downloaded the book. And as a result, now it has been maybe a month that it, this has been happening. So on the in-breath, I, which is what he suggests, actually. Uh, so it's not my thing. I love myself. And on the out-breath, thank you. And over the recent few days, I've been imagining, which is, again, totally woo-woo and weird. When I say I love myself, there's this golden sort of energy center that just expands. And the thank you, depending on how grateful I am in that breath, it sort of keeps that energy in my body, which is this visualization, which is making that do some (laughs) inexplicable stuff. So that's um, been a total recent development. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful image and a beautiful practice. So simple, but deeply profound. I see why it's a game changer. And there's another practice that he actually, he, he, he suggests in the book, which is making a list of all the things you forgive yourself for. Mm-hmm. And if you can see, I have lots of butcher paper and I love that kind of stuff. And I tore the paper out and I literally filled both sides of it one morning in like 20 minutes. <laughs> and I went down to the river, which is just across the road from us and just burnt it. I don't remember what's on that list. Because you, you released it, you let it go. It's such an... In- interesting practice but i delayed that practice for like a week because my brain my mind was making up all these reasons why it was a dumb idea yeah but then you did it well my friend it is a treat to talk to you thank you for all that you do for the work that you're doing the art that you're making and the way that you're just sort of revolutionizing the way that people do podcasts and and have deep and meaningful conversations that they get to share with others so I'm super grateful for you and thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. This is this is so cool. And thank you for letting me say some of the stuff or even the space to think about some of the things because I've not thought about it before. Thanks for the real conversation. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com 
for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.